Welcome to the Hiker Trash Podcast. This is a project of Local Exposure Magazine. My name is Ronnie Pettit, and I'm your host. The Hiker Trash Project began with my curiosity about why people through hike the Appalachian Trail, or any long trail. I wondered why they do it, what they gain from it, and how that experience might manifest itself in their life after the trail. I spent an entire year following, photographing, and interviewing through hikers on the Appalachian Trail from Georgia to Maine and all the way back to Georgia. I put all that, those interviews and photographs, into a 200-page coffee table book. And now we're going to continue the project as a podcast. So listen along as we track down some of the people we met along the way and interview new hikers and find out, did that experience change them or... Did it simply provide the context to reveal who they already are? You can find out more about Local Exposure Magazine on the internet at localexposuremagazine.com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at local.exposure.magazine. The intro music for today's episode was provided by Scott Lowe. He's a Northeast Georgia-based singer-songwriter. You can find him on Instagram at Songs. On today's episode, we have Panda. Say hello, Panda. Hello, everyone. I'm excited to be here. I can tell from your accent, you're not from around here. (laughs) No, I'm from Germany, Western Germany, very close to the Netherlands. And we're doing this via a uh, FaceTime audio call. Yes, let's see how that goes. Pretty cool. So, Panda, I met you while you were hiking the Appalachian Trail in 2002. Correct me if I'm wrong. We met, I think it was Easter Sunday at Wyabald doing some trail magic. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. That's it. Nice. It was pretty exciting meeting you there. I can tell you that. It was a great place to do trail magic for sure. Let's just go back to the beginning because some of the people who will listen to this uh, may not have had a copy of the book. So let's just go back to what what got up in your head and made you decide that hiking the Appalachian Trail was was something that you should do. Well, I think I think that's kind of a longer story. So. It all goes back to me um, hiking the Camino de Santiago in Europe. For all those who don't know what that is, that is a a pilgrimage trail in Spain, in northern Spain, uh, about 500 miles long. So it takes about a month to do, and it's very different hiking than on the AT. So you sleep in hostels every night, you have a shower every night, and it's pretty pretty bougie hiking compared to the AT, but so I did that, and that was my first uh, yeah experience with hiking and long hiking especially. And I was seventeen at the time. That was yeah ten years ago actually. So um, I came back from that, and it was a pretty impactful experience to have at that age. And uh, pretty pretty quickly, I knew this is this is amazing. I want to do more of it, and I kept hiking mostly in Europe and. Um, did the Camino again and spent uh, an exchange year there, um, a student exchange year. And um, all of that really, um, yeah, without really knowing about the whole through hiking community that you, you guys have in, in the U.S., which is, it's, it's just amazing. And when I heard about it for the first time, for me, it was a, it was a whole new world. I um, devoured every book I could find on it. I was really intrigued by the whole concept of hiking for months at a time since I'd only done one month and that already changed so much um, in my life um, and and gave me so much. I, I think I guess the Camino for me gave me such a different outlook on life at the time. Um, is, it really is that trail a like a spiritual journey for most people? 
For a lot of uh, people, yeah. Um, so it, I mean, it is a religious uh, pilgrimage trail. Um, I guess that I think the the Roman Catholic Church forgives you all your sins if you do that, okay. which is pretty neat, I guess, if you if you believe in that. And uh, but for me, it never was um, really a religious journey. And for a lot of people in the modern age, it's it's kind of more like a modern pilgrimage that people who maybe are on a like transitional stage in their life, like um, after school or between jobs or after a divorce or something, people choose to do that and, and um, have time to away from life, I guess, and then think about things for themselves. I think that describes most people who okay. hike it the, these days. So how do you get from there to, uh, you know, being overseas to even learning about and wanting to hike the Appalachian Trail? So um, basically, the first time I heard about through hiking, I I was very very intrigued, but I also felt very strongly like I could never do that. That's way too hardcore, too too wild, too uh, demanding. I don't know what whatever like hard adjective you can find there. Um, that was what was going on in my mind at the time, and. Then it happened that I got the chance during my master's degree to study abroad in Alaska. And um, that was an experience that was really impactful for me in different ways. I did a lot of hard things there. Uh, a lot of, um, I took a lot of classes that were uh, geared towards uh, outdoor travel. So I did ice climbing, glacier travel, all these kinds of things. And I came back and for me it was, um, it kind of shifted. There was this this shift in my mindset that once I thought again about through hiking, I was like, huh, I guess maybe I could do this since I survived Alaska. I I guess it was, it was, um, it's hard to describe what actually like caused this shift, but I guess I came back from Alaska with a whole lot of uh, gained self-confidence. And after that, especially during the pandemic, that was kind of my, my lifeline, my, um, obsession, I guess, that carried me through the pandemic. So I started researching a lot of things and um, and I was convinced as soon as the pandemic is over, as soon as I can can do it and it fits in my degree, I can I, I will do this. And um, the, the choice to do the, the AT versus the PCT or the CDT was actually that I was a lot more interested in the PCT at first. But since the AT is so much more of a social trail and so much more accessible, I guess, um, to me it seemed the, like the, the safer choice, I guess. And also the choice where I would make more connections, meet more people, be even more uh, surrounded by a community. Safer in terms so of, then I, safer um, in terms of um, physical safety or safer in terms of likelihood that you could you know complete it likelihood that i could complete it for sure (laughs) because uh i was um at the time i wasn't used to i mean i said i did the camino like you have to like imagine you have a restaurant every single day multiple times you walk around like like through these neat little villages you can have lunch break and sip some wine and it's just you know you don't have to worry about all these logistics that sounds awesome that's the hiking you have on the camino it is great it is amazing and i think um in fact i know at least uh, one couple i think you also know them golden goddess and sky king they did yes. the the camino this year and i think they they really enjoyed it it was a lot of yeah it's, it's i think it's better if you do uh, something uh, like the at first and then do the camino for me it was kind of like a yeah i just made it a lot harder for Is myself it, so um i thought the AT, the at was like a lot a lot easier to complete because you only have to carry like 3 to 5 days of food versus like a yeah. week on the pct is the camino costly financially it really depends. Like the hostels um, along the trail, they're actually subsidized by the Spanish government and there's specific uh, hostels just for pilgrims. And when I did it at the time, I don't know if that changed at all, but I think you could stay in a hostel for like 10 bucks or less sometimes, sometimes five bucks. So that's, that's more so, like um, how hostels are supposed to be. <laughs> I believe so. Yeah, it was a harsh uh, reality check when I uh, had my first hostel stay on the AT. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, so when you started that, that, that AT in terms of overnight camping, 
you you still had very mm-hmm. little experience. Well, I took um, I started in 2020 during the pandemic. I mean, going outside was like one of the only things I could do. So I started doing little overnight trips and um, like week long excursions just in my local woods, and that was about as <laughs> as much training as I did every once in a while to just just check if I had the right gear. But yeah, I didn't do any anything longer than maybe yeah a week. So when we first met at Waia Ball, that is what, 100 and what, 30, 40 miles in maybe? Something? Yeah, I think so. Cool. Actually, I have, I, ha- I have a whole spreadsheet really? about where I stayed every you, single day. I could even pull wow, it up that's, that's, correctly. Uh, yeah. That's detail-oriented. <laughs> well, I, you know, it, it felt like, like after coming back from the trail, I needed something to do and maybe we can talk about that later on, but I, I felt like I needed to put it all like down so I would not forget. And it actually is a, is a huge help now that I'm going back to things. So wait, it was. Well, let's talk about, uh, I forgot to ask you about your trail name, Panda. How did that come about? Well, that's, uh, I got that one actually uh, on day three um, when we stayed at Above the Clouds Hostel because day two for me on the trail was, uh, horrible there were torrential downpours i don't i don't think it ever got that bad again later on the trail um it was it was horrible the first day was sunny bright as 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 good as it can be and then the second day was the, the total opposite and for me was this in march uh, no this was um this was actually i started on um, april 4th and um on April fifth, it, it was it decided to be really horrible, and then um, I mean, for me, I really hate the rain. I don't know, but what I can, I have to do something about it at some point because it's just it was it was comical how much I hated the rain on the trail. But I guess our year, we were pretty <laughs> we were pretty blessed with um, pretty good weather. Actually, I mean, it was bad for some of the the. Uh, water sources on trail, but it was good for me because I hated the rain. So on day two, um, I, ha- I I wore my full like rain gear, and um, I had an orange poncho that got over like, that covered me head, like o- over my knees almost to my to my feet, and I had an umbrella. And um, someone from my hiking group, take three, she took a picture of me while I was crossing a river that was not supposed to be like a full-on river crossing. It, it, it normally would probably be just a, just a brook or something, but uh, it was a pretty, pretty uh, intense river crossing on day, day two. And she took this picture and um, we spent the, the next uh, day in Above the Clouds Hostel and she showed me that picture and she was like, you know what, who do you remind me of? Kung Fu Panda, because in this introduction, <laughs> in the introduction scene of the movie, I don't know who of you have seen the movie recently. I actually have, and it's it's pretty cool because he has this flowing cape and the the hat, this like rice hat, Asian hat. I don't know what to call it, um, and it actually looked like it. And so I kind of took, I kind of ended up <laughs> taking the name, and uh, since Kung Fu Panda is way too long, uh, it got shortened to Panda pretty quickly, and. So it was Panda from, yeah, pretty much I think on, on Blood, Blood Mountain is yeah. when I decided to officially keep it and did my first shelter and logbook entry. That's so awesome. I love trail names. Do you now, when you refer to your trail name, uh, do you refer to it in the past tense or the present? Do you say like, my trail name was Panda or my trail name is Panda? That is, that is a good question. Um, I think I would use it in the present tense because I, I'm pretty sure if I would come back and do one of the other long trails in the U.S., I would just introduce myself as Panda because that's who I am in that community. Here it is actually, it's, it's interesting because that kind of hiking community doesn't really exist around here and people would probably not understand if I started to introduce myself with that name. They would probably be re- really weirded out. But um, if I would come back to the U.S., absolutely. And in fact, I've visited um, Weeble uh, the other week. Um, she's living in New York now and uh, she was one of my close trail friends. You remember her? 
Yes, we met. Uh, she was at Wyabal that day exactly. as well. Exactly, and uh, I met her. I visited her in her her place in New York, and um, she still called me Panda, and I called her Weeble the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love it. So the next time we met, I believe, was during Trail Days in Damascus in late May. Yes. Yes. So three days in. Most people are still struggling with something, whether it's, you know, weight, miles, legs, knees, food, rain. But at some point along the way, I remember, you know, with my own experience, at some point along the way, there was a time when I was, I just had the thought that this is what I do. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. This is my life, you know, right now. Did you experience that or, or what, at what point? Along the trail, were you like, I, I just get up and I hike and it's all, everything's fine? I think actually, um, speaking of trail days, I think the second or third day on trail days was when I felt like that for the first time on trail. Um, it was this just this overwhelming sense of, I just belong here. Everything's great. The the stars are aligned. I don't know. Like it's, it's, this is my place. And then um, actually I came back from trail days and a day later I got sick and I stayed sick for a week. I had to be off trail for a week. I lost everyone I knew at that point on trail and um, oh. threw me off pretty, pretty badly, especially after just, ha- just, just having had this feeling of like, oh my gosh, this is, this is exactly it. This is, this is my people. Uh, I have my group, my family, and we just hike together. And then like coming back and like the day, a day later, reality kicks in and I have to like basically lose all of them. And um, I actually never uh, caught up again with, with most of them, like Fancy Feast and Take Three. I never caught up to them again. I saw Weevil again once in Harbors Ferry and I caught back up to the, the, the honeymooners who were also part of my family, but um, I never really, yeah, it was, it was a, a huge cut in my trail experience. And then I think the second time I felt uh, like I was back in my groove and um, the second time I felt like, like the looking back is actually one of my favorite times on trail was in Virginia, when I um, started to discover the trail as like an experience that that is just you know me, because I've I've spent um, the first part of the, of trail. I mean, up until trail days with a group that I met on day one. So we pretty much formed mm-hmm. right away, and then we spend all this time together. I mean, to trail days that's like uh, yeah, forty days about roughly, um, according to my spreadsheet. Um, and then, (laughs) you know, having had that, these intense, uh, moments with them, especially in the beginning of the trail, um, even now looking back, it feels like I hiked like half of the trail with them, but it was like, uh, not even, yeah, it was only like the first 400 miles that I did with them. And it felt like to me, that was the most, uh, forming, um, time in the in the experience i think because you still learn so much you discover so much new every every single day and then later on in the hike as you say it's like you just you just do it it's it becomes almost a routine at a certain point and um there's still the novelty of course of like sleeping somewhere new every day maybe meeting occasionally meeting new people but most of it is 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 routine and then um so when i when i got sick and i had to get back on trail and it was actually i wasn't even sure during the week if I should continue because I was in such a motivational low. I think if at the time I, I didn't, if, if I had like parents around the area or something, I would have probably just gone home. Like if I hadn't had to um, go overseas practically and I didn't know how to even get there from, from that part of the woods where I was, if it hadn't been so far away, my home, I probably would have just gone there and given up. But, uh, Thankful, and that that is that is directly related to the emotional uh, distress, I guess, of losing your family. Yeah, pretty much, because it was as I said, every single day we spent together, and it was a pretty uh, pretty tight knit group. And then um, I had to kind of 
figure it out on my own again. And that was really scary. And then I think the more it, it got a lot better when I finally got out of Tennessee because all of that happened in Tennessee. And uh, the moment when I crossed into Virginia and I got into Damascus again for the second time since I'd been there for trail days and then got back down, um, it was such a great feeling because it felt like I was reclaiming this hike as an experience that I did for myself mainly and that I was still like the main character mm-hmm. in my experience. And so that that was a really special time for me, I guess. I love that. Yeah, I just got chill bumps when you said that. Do... <laughs> Okay, let me ask you this. The flip side of being in a tramley, did you ever find that you were compromising your own hike or what you maybe wanted or needed in favor of what the tramley wanted to do or was doing? For sure, especially in the beginning, especially since it it kind of felt like we were all doing it to a certain degree because... I think, I mean, the first couple of days when you start trail are pretty much like, I don't know, coming back after summer holidays. And it's like, uh, I don't know, everybody wants to wants to find friends and not be alone and, and form a group. And so everybody is, is totally like, I don't know, yearning for a tramway. And then once you have it, you just want to hold on to it. And even if that means that maybe maybe you're pushing yourself past your past your personal limits, um, I think one moment actually was when I uh, remembered that I started to kind of break out of that a little bit. In our tramway, Take Three was was the the person with the plan. She knew exactly where she wanted to stay every single night, and um, especially in the beginning, that was awesome for me since I didn't really, I hadn't really figured it out yet, I guess. And so um, for me, it was nice that there was somebody else where I could just be like, oh yeah, I just, you know, piggyback on the plan. I like it, you know, uh, I like you and let's just, you know, keep hiking together. And then at some point um, when we started to get into the Smokies, it got a little too fast and too hard for me. Um, and at that point, we also didn't have a zero yet. And um, for me especially, I really needed one at that time. From from Springer Mountain to the Smokies, you had not taken a day off? No, three three weeks. The first three weeks, we did um, we sl- we slept inside. Wow. We did um, we did some neuros, but um, never a full zero. And I really felt at that point, I really felt like I needed it. And um, so, in the middle of the Smokies, per the original plan, we would have just gone through it, not gone into Gatlinburg at all, and just you know done the whole Smokies in one in one push and just gotten out of it and. That was really ambitious. <laughs> and especially the honeymooners and me, I think we felt like, no, why, why are we doing that? You know, we really want to go into Gatlinburg. We want to take this zero and, uh, and I don't know, explore the city or whatever. Just have a day off, a full day off where you don't have to think about going back on the trail. And um, so we kind of uh, turned the group around. And in the end, we all went to Gatlinburg. But it was... It was a it was a little struggle, I think, uh, in that moment when we finally, you know, spoke up for for ourselves. It was uh, th- yeah. it was some conflict, but in the end, the whole group like decided to still stick together. But I think after trail days, especially, um, I actually don't remember how long and how far the others stuck to uh, like stayed in their in the group together. Yeah, I don't really know that because it was hard to keep in contact with other people on the trail. I had really bad cell service and people were just not on their phones that much. But, you know, I think after that, I could imagine that it was probably a similar experience for um, for the others. That at some point they, you know, wanted to do more for themselves and um, not just follow the group the entire time. Because that's hard. It's really yeah, hard. I, I do remember... Uh, by the time they came through a ball area just before Baxter State Park that uh, they all came through separately. Yeah. You know, it, it may have been just a day or two or three apart, but they weren't together. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I remember, you know, when you become a tramley, it just happens organically. Mm-hmm. And then there's an unspoken obligation to, you know, stay together and so if there's a strong personality or a leader, 
the others or somebody has to acquiesce and follow. Mm-hmm. And then to, to, to break that uh, feels really difficult to do, like almost breaking up a relationship. Yeah. So I see how it's, it's, um, it has a hold on you. Yeah. I think for me, it never would have happened. Or I mean, I, I don't, I don't really see how I could have consciously made the decision to walk away from these people because I loved every single one of them. I, I mean, I still, you know, like I, I met up with Weibo. I, I'm, I'm currently, I mean, kind of in the process of making plans to see the honeymooners again next year. It's, it's, uh, it wasn't that I didn't like them. And so for me, I think if I hadn't gotten sick due to trail days, I don't know how I would have maybe at some point moved forward. Maybe never, maybe I would, I don't know. I, I just, I can't really, really picture it. For me, it was just the, the fact that I was so sick. I actually, the morning I woke up uh, and just felt like, like sick, I tried to walk and I um, think I did like four miles or something while feeling like absolute shit. And I was crying the entire time just from exhaustion because I was, I don't, I don't even know what, what was going on with me at the time. And then I just had to get off trail because there was no way this was like healthy, but I, I even tried, you know, even feeling like, like shit, I tried to keep walking with these people because they had defined my whole trail experience in such a such an impactful way. And I mean, I think, I mean, in the end, they still have, as I said, I still feel like we did half the trail together, even though it's, it was only 400 miles. So. Yeah. That's kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of those, that whole group, I don't know if I, I may have seen Weeble again, I may have seen the honeymooners again, but take three, I saw her at least five times up the trail. Nice. <laughs> I don't know how we just kept running into each other. That's awesome. So a lot of, a lot of, well, let me put it this way. As I interviewed people, there were some things that surprised me. One is the amount of people hiking that had zero experience. Mm. It was really, it was really encouraging. Uh, The other, another thing was the number of people who, got into relationships and kind of coupled up along the trail. I saw that way more than I expected. Did you happen? Did that happen to you at all? Yeah, kind of. I wouldn't really call it a relationship. It was um, maybe more like a situationship, a trail relationship. I don't know how you want to call it. <laughs> a trail relationship. <laughs> um, no, that, that, that kind of happened to me. And um it was, it's really interesting, especially now every time I think back to it. And I mean, I, I told you like the, that time in Virginia when I, um, when I started to find my own footing and was, you know, taking this hike as like, this is my hike. I'm doing what I want to do, you know, and I'm totally defining the rules and everything. That kind of switched um, later in Virginia. And I think mostly, most importantly in Pennsylvania, it switched for sure once I started to um, fully just hike with uh, Sweet Cheeks, I think I met him originally right after the Smokies for the first time. And I remember like, I remember really strongly disliking him because he has a really polarizing personality. But, you know, later on, (laughs) later on in Virginia, he was one of the first people I caught up with after I had been sick and off trail for a week and because he was so slow. And um, so, you know, it was like the first sign kind of, of, oh my gosh, I'm getting closer to my the bubble I originally started with. And so that was exciting. Mm-hmm. And then we started to, um, yeah, become, become friends during that time, I guess. And then we did the, the Triple Crown together in Virginia and we um, shared a hotel room at, during my birthday to so so I could have a zero and he just you know spend time with me it was at that point there was there was nothing really going on but like later on especially in the early stages of Pennsylvania was when it kind of turned into into something and you know we never I mean there was never like it was never like like a relationship relationship there was always um, we even openly talked about it that this was never like a thing, anything other than just, just a trail thing. And it was, you know, at the time I thought, you know, I, I, 
I can, I can deal with that. You know, I, I got this. And turns out later and now looking back on it, I definitely couldn't handle it at all. And interestingly enough, though, like we started hiking together around, I think it was um, like mile 700. We hiked around each other and then the, the, especially the rest of the, the trail, to, we, we hiked until Katahdin together. We summited Katahdin together. It was um, from mile 700, okay. we did the rest of it together. And especially in the end, okay. it, it felt like, um, I don't really know how to put it, but I mean, you, you were saying, and, and I think that's kind of what it was, that it's hard to let people go on trail once you form these you know, relationships. And in the end, I didn't have anything left in me. The trail just took everything out of me. I don't know, emotionally, physically. Uh, in the end, I was at the worst I've ever been in my entire life. And I think just keep keeping, um, keep up hiking with Sweet Cheeks was like my lifeline. And the only way I probably could have finished the trail, I don't know. In hindsight, I think um, I should have definitely just, you know, left way, way earlier at some point, you know, and just start hiking on my own again. But I just didn't. It was... Um, it was this interesting thing that I felt like I needed to follow th through with this all the way to the end to see where it would go. And now that I know where it led to, I feel like I should have just left. So it's like this interesting, I don't know, <laughs> conundrum that I don't know how to, how to really solve it. Um, yeah, I don't really know what to, what to make of it. I still am trying to unpack all of the things that happened like between us and on the trail in general. So it's, uh, yeah, it was an interesting time, that's for sure. And I mean, it was at some point we had hiked alongside each other for so long that it felt like we kind of had to finish together. It was like, right. this, there's no other way this is not going to happen, you know? So he, he was with you when I saw you again at A-Ball Bridge. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Man, it was crazy because I had not seen you, you know, since May. And then I'm like standing there at the store and, and it's like, you, oh, you were leaning up against the door and I looked over and I, oh, I pulled up in my truck and yeah. I looked over and I was like, that's Panda. That is Panda. <laughs> and then it took a minute, minute for both of us to like look at, look at each other. And it's like, you know, do I run over there? Do I wave? And it's like, oh, hey, hey, how you doing? Good to see right. you. Yeah, I think that that really shows how dead I was at that point. I was just like, you know, this is just I don't know. I did. I was. It was not. A, I was not in a good headspace. Otherwise, I would have been way more excited to see you than I. I feel like I was. I, I don't remember <laughs> honestly. It was. Um, but it was. It was great to see you again. It felt like like the perfect way to to frame the hike. You know, like that she just ended yeah. and uh, I don't know, kind of a, yeah, the last piece of the but puzzle, I guess. Most people recognize my truck or my dog. Yeah. Hut. Uh, and then, yeah. Hut. And they say, oh, I remember you. Or I remember that truck or this trail magic or whatever. I was at that campground at A-Ball Bridge talking to uh, Sky King. Oh, nice. And um, they just happened to walk up. I was like, ah, hey. And then this father's son walked up and he said, oh, we've, I remember you. I, I met you before. And I said, oh, really? Where? He goes, I don't know. I think it was way back in Georgia. And he goes, well, I said, well, how do you, like, you remember my dog? Is that what it was? And he goes, no, it was your voice. I was like, oh, this the hillbilly accent. That's what it was. <laughs> anyway, it was, it was funny. Do you have a favorite section of trail and a hated section of trail? Mm, that's a good one. I think, okay, there's, I have two different favorite things, right? So I have my favorite state and I have my favorite section. And, okay. um, for the longest time, uh, up until we got far more North, uh, my favorite state was Virginia. I think because of what I told you that it was like, this is, this is the state where I reclaimed my hike and I did all the fun things that I wanted to do. I went slack packing as much as I wanted to. I just, you know, did what I wanted to do. And um, also the terrain was just awesome in Virginia, I think. Looking back, especially after having done New England, Virginia was like, ah, it was so nice, so easy. Yeah. I never had the Virginia blues. Well, 
I had the Virginia that's excitement. In, that's uh, that's interesting, considering that you went through during hot, dry, buggy times. It was a. Uh, it it felt like it was. Uh, still before it got to its worst i feel like or maybe okay. i just or maybe i just stayed indoors uh enough that i didn't really really <laughs> notice because i remember in virginia at some point um people were starting to call me the king of slack packing because they only ever saw me slack packing nice. they were like That's I awesome. forgot who it, who it was but i feel like uh I had uh, I calculated it at some point how much of Virginia I slack packed. I feel like I did like at least a hundred miles just slack packing, not even a little more. So, um, but Virginia was my favorite state up until we got to Vermont, and v- Vermont was interesting because to me it was uh, one of the hardest um, emotional uh, times on trail because um, Sweet Cheeks was doing really badly just like in in, uh, Williamstown, just starting into Vermont. And so I was kind of like dragged down with him, kind of. And um, still, Vermont had just something about it. I don't know what it is. The the landscape, I don't don't know. We also, like, I went through it and I, I felt like I only ever had one muddy section, which I think is probably not the usual experience. Um, <laughs> so I never really uh, encountered ver- like Vermud, um, so to speak, but it, it was <laughs> my favorite state in the end for sure. And then um, my favorite section was Franconia Ridge because, mm. um, and maybe now that I think about it, that was probably my, one of my favorite sections because it was one of the few things that I did on my own terms uh, while still hiking with Sweet Cheeks. I went up at like 4.30 in the morning. He was like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. And I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to do that because I wanted to see sunrise on on um, Franconia Notch. And also we hiked through it on Labor Day weekend and everybody, like a lot of the people we knew were actually waiting it out and we're like, we don't want to go up Franconia on Labor Day weekend. It's going to be crazy busy. And I felt like, like we felt like, no, we, we just got to, you know, we're just going to move on. It's going to be fine. And so I got up at 4.30 in the morning because I felt like, you know, maybe I can beat the crowd, see the sunrise. It's going to be awesome. And it was awesome because I had Franconia Ridge totally to myself for like 15 minutes until the first people arrived. <laughs> but it was two very nice guys. It was like this, these these college boys that we were talking about how they were just, you know, like, like a, it was so funny. Like they came up to me and they were like, yeah, like to each other talking about how they like just a couple hours had cut open some uh, corpses because they were in med school. And uh, now they're on Franconia Ridge watching Sunrise. Oh, wow. I was like, <laughs> hell yeah, guys, that's the way to go. They, I think they came all the way from Rhode Island. They just like took wow. the car and came up and it was awesome. And I had a really nice chat with them and still like, you know, people kept trickling in slowly, but I feel like I had, I had the whole ridge to myself, kind of. I felt like that day felt like the ridge just belonged to me in a way. And it was just the best feeling ever. Like, I, I took my sweet time up there. I think I stayed on, uh, what was that last, um, Mount Lafayette? I stayed on that mountain for like three hours, just laying in the sun. And people, like, they were, it got really crowded, but it didn't bother me because I had seen how it was without any people. There was a view of Mount Washington, which apparently, like, one of the park rangers told me that was pretty rare. And so I was just enjoying that. Waiting for Sweet Cheeks, obviously, was also part of why I did that. But it was also, you know, it felt like, like, this, this was, this is a great day. This day just belongs to me. And, yeah, that was my favorite day on trail for sure. Multiple people have said the same thing that uh, Franconia was their mm. favorite memory. It's just such a, I don't know what it is about that ridge, but the view and it just, I mean, it is iconic, but there's so many other iconic spots on trail too that I felt like were nice, but it was not really this, it was not this this spark that I had with Franconia. I don't know what it was. It just, everything came together at the right time, I guess. Right. Were you surprised that the the open vistas and views were few and far between on the AT? Mm, not really surprised because I'd read about it and I'd heard about it. And actually, um, I think in my mind, reading all about the, gray, the, the green tunnel and no views and whatnot, I 
really expected there to be much less views than there were. So in the end, I was positively surprised at, by how much you can see, especially down in Georgia when we started and the leaves had not come in yet. I mean, you could see everything. If mm -hmm. the trees don't have leaves, it's awesome. You have views right. everywhere. And uh, especially, uh, I loved the view in Georgia down there with the, the these layers of blue of just hills and mountains and everything, you know, just like going as far as, as the eye can see. I really loved that. And you had it everywhere because it was still pretty cool. The leaves had not come in yet. And then it, even later on, I felt like there were just enough views to just to, to, I don't know, keep me going, I guess. I didn't right. really. That's my favorite time, favorite time of year here in Southern Appalachia. Yeah. What about, uh, fast forward to the hundred mile wilderness. What was your experience like through there? Well, the hundred mile, it was interesting because, um, we we took our time, which at the time, in the end, you know, I was on a visa. I had 180 days exactly before I had to leave the U.S. And um, I had already booked my flight back because I knew, you know, I had to leave. And um, in the end, because we were really slow during like the like Pennsylvania section, especially, and then later on, um, in the end, we had to skip a part of Maine to even make it to make the visa day because we both felt like, like we need to do the, the hundred mile properly. This is like the last stretch, you know, that, that we need to do fully. And, um, we wanted to really take those days to, I don't know, at least like, I wanted to take those days to, to reflect on everything that, that had happened. And in the end, I also just wanted to get through. That was, that was pretty much what it was. It was an interesting tension between wanting to leave and not wanting to leave at the same time. Wanting to leave because I was like, you know, I was, I was just so done with the trail. I was so done with, with feeling burnt out because I'm right now, I've, like looking back and I feel like I've been, definitely burned out and felt like, like emotionally, physically, everything. I had nothing left. And then on the other hand, I didn't want to leave that place because I couldn't imagine being back. Yeah. There's a spot, there's a place in the hundred mile where you can get a glimpse of Mount Katahdin. And many people have said that, you know, it was, that was the point when they had the realization that this is almost over. And it, it almost, it's bittersweet for them that, you know, I'm, I've almost accomplished this goal, but I, I'm not ready for this to be over. Mm. It was for me, uh, I saw Katahdin first on, what was it, Rainbow Slabs or something? Rainbow Ridge? It was very late because we had very shitty weather. Um, I know that some people maybe saw it on the Santabant Mountain. Not for us. It was still very much hiding itself. Um, and then I saw it, I think it was like rainbow something. And it was on the day when I also came, like like when we came out of the 100 miles. So it took until the last day till I actually saw it. And it was really weird because like logically my mind was like, you you need to be euphoric, you know? You've just spent like, almost six months of your life to walk towards this thing. And I really, <laughs> I really wanted to feel that, but in the, uh, uh, then there was like nothing left with what I could feel that it was really, really weird. You know, I felt like, like I'm supposed to feel all this. I don't really know if I feel this. And then it's, it was also like really surreal. It was just surreal that I was there at that point And it was supposed to be over in like, just, I don't know, another day or so. And um, I didn't really know what to make of it at that time. I still feel like um, it didn't really hit me that I really did this until like months later. I don't even know. It might have actually been super recently that I've like looked back a lot and like doing when I even when I wrote my thesis, I was like, did I did I really do it? Like, did this happen? Because especially wow. going back. Um, Going back, coming back from trail, um, coming home in and being in an environment where nobody knows about the trail. I mean, they know what, you know, what I told them, but nobody really knew anything about it. Nobody had done it. Nobody had ever known anybody else who'd done it. Um, and sitting in my... So you couldn't share, you couldn't share that experience or they could not, 
share no, it with you? Not really. They couldn't share it. They couldn't understand it. And it felt like um, everybody on trail was also like super far away. I mean, we tried to, we, we FaceTimed, um, especially interestingly, mostly with my family from the first 400 miles. We set up FaceTime calls and we kept in contact uh, or tried to because everybody, you know, pretty, uh, I mean, everybody goes their own ways, has other things going on, is traveling. I don't know. There's so many things that um, come in the way of, of staying in contact a lot, but we tried our best. And even, even then, you know, me sitting in my room, uh, I don't know, being sheltered from the elements and just, I don't know. It just, it just felt, it just felt surreal. It felt like somebody took me, you know, my dirty trail persona panda took, took them out of the woods and put them in this cushion box. And I didn't really know how to feel about that. And it felt like, like, was this other life even real? And I think for me, it really, t like, it, it. I'm still processing how I feel about all of it. It's really... It's, so on your summit, yeah. when, when you summited Katahdin, was, was that also kind of, was that anticlimactic? Very much or? so. Very much. Okay. I remember being up there and... Um, feeling almost exactly the same as I felt when I saw it for the first time. Um, we were approaching the sign and I, I just, I think I just thought like, huh, it's over now, huh? Like it was, that's it. Right. And it was, um, it was not even this feeling of relief that in the previous weeks where it got really hard for me, like, emotionally psychologically where i was really like depressed almost i was really wishing for it to be over and i didn't even feel the relief that you would feel if you like something's over that you really want to be over it was not even that and um i think that was because i was just so done with everything and um right yeah it was very very well, anticlimactic Let's talk about after the trail, because I remember when I met you in the very beginning, you told me that you were working on a master's thesis or dissertation mm -hmm. project. Tell me, tell me about that. Right. So I um, basically used the trail as, um, as an excuse to kind of go on vacation for a semester. And um, basically how I did that was that I... Um, that I said like, oh yeah, I'm just going to, you know, do my final thesis that I definitely had to write as part of my degree. Um, I just used that, um, to, to do research on the trail. And I'd, I'd previously done, um, another master's degree. It was a whole thing with COVID that I kept on studying because it was, it was just, just wasn't a good time to go into the job market. So I kept on studying. And then, um, my first uh, degree, I'd already written about the, the Pacific Crest Trail, but like from afar, I'd done like online studies and whatnot. And so I felt like for my um, second degree, which was um, social anthropology, I felt like I, I would like to do something on the trail, but like be involved and like use my own experience to, to research it. And um, it was really interesting because when I started the trail, I pretty quickly noticed like everything I thought, like what I could do didn't really work out because I was just so deeply immersed into the experience. I mean, I guess um, to me, it felt like, or like even now looking back, I think to really fully um, do the research that I wanted to do, um, I would have had to take myself out of it and just and step back and not be as much part of it, the experience as I was. Um, but I really wanted to be on trail. I really wanted to be a part of the experience. I wanted, I wanted to experience all of it. So I, uh, ended up not really doing a lot on trail in terms of research. And then mid trail, you know, I kind of found the solution to my dilemma because I still had to write the thesis. Um, and I was, uh, thinking to myself, you know, you could just write about the whole process of coming off trail and then pushing, you know, just procrastinating a little more while still enjoying the trail. <laughs> So um, in the end, I did my um, my project basically on um, 
it was I, I did it partially on the whole experience being on trail, but mostly how that is connected with how people feel off trail. And um, I did that mainly by interviewing um, people that I met on trail. Actually, I think uh, mostly people, some people from my original family and then some other people I've met along the way and, and gotten to know pretty, pretty well. And, um, and I interviewed them online um, on like different things and basically in the end put it together. And it was really, it was so intense doing all this because um, I wrote my thesis while being in my first job and I didn't work full time. I had like a part-time job, like 30 hours a week. And still it was uh, alongside with, with that job. The thesis writing was even harder and I handed it in, in August and <laughs> I haven't really touched it ever since. So when you asked me to, the, to do the interview, I actually, you know, I'm having it open on my computer right now, looking into it and being kind of like, you know, what, <laughs> what, what actually did I do? Um, and actually this week I got, um, I got it approved and now I know that I'm, you know, finally done with my degree for real and feels, uh, really nice actually to talk now, <laughs> now with you about all this since now it's official that I've, that, that I'm done, but, um, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Are there some insights from that that you can share with us? Right now, I don't think so, but uh, my goal is to put it together into articles that people can read. I'm trying to to put it on uh, the track, hopefully, so that it can reach like the majority of the hiking community. And then, yeah, I'll get back to you about that. <laughs> what about you personally, your transition from the trail back to, you know, quote unquote, normal life? Was that difficult for you? It was uh, difficult for sure, but I feel like I had a pretty good plan on how to cope with it. And I even, I, I started to think about all of this even before I had started the trail. Because uh, from my Camino experience, from coming back from doing the Camino for the first time, I knew that coming back from such an experience can be super hard, depressing, and really, you know, where on wear you down and um coming back from my first camino when i was 17 i i don't know it felt like you know i had had the greatest experience of my life and nobody understands it because nobody in my immediate family and friend circle has has ever done it um and i felt like when i was starting to prepare for the trail i feel like i was already starting to mentally prepare for the whole process of of coming off it because i thought um you know, coming back from an experience like the Camino, which is like only a month, is already so hard. And then coming back from the trail, which is six times longer, at least in terms of time, that has to be six times harder. So I was even more mm -hmm. set on like preparing for it. I actually, um, after we had summited on our way um, down to to Bangor um, to leave, I I bought. I remember I ordered uh, running shoes because I knew that that keeping keep um, keep moving is like one of the the most or I think one of the best strategies you hear about people um, and how they cope with being off trail. You just yeah. you have to keep going. You have to do something. You have to be active um, to not fall into this deep hole of not having the endorphins of moving all day long. And so I, I ordered those. I was ready. I remember I started to do, uh, I don't know, like, like sit-ups, push-ups, all these things in the hotel room the night before flying out from Boston because I was like, <laughs> I need to do something. And um, it was like, as soon as I, I kind of came off uh, Katahdin, I, I, I was like putting my mind on like, how can I, you know, efficiently... Um, get through this and um so i came back home i immediately started running i was living at my parents house at the time um basically the only thing i did at that time was just uh, making sure i was i was resting well i was doing some exercise i i made i um, gave myself one goal at least per day so each morning i would get up and just think about like what do i want to do today it was just one thing i don't know it could could have been anything could have been i go on a on a run today and then if I'd accomplished that by the end of the day, I would be fine. And I, I really didn't think more in, um, more into the future than just, just in this one day, you know, I was just 
focused on getting through each day separately because everything else felt so overwhelming. The whole prospect of having to, um, I don't know, find a job and start work life and start my thesis for real. And um, all that was just too daunting to deal with it at first. So the first yeah. two, two months, I didn't even think of that. I was just focused on, on myself. And I remember being so grateful, especially the first two weeks of not having to hike the next day. And it was really interesting. I would wake, <laughs> I would wake up and I would feel this like, like relief washing over me. I don't have to hike tomorrow because, you know, I mean, in the end you could do like a zero, a double zero, a triple zero. In the end, there was always a next day where you needed to hike. And I remember just feeling so relieved. And so I think it was mainly because to, due to my exhaustion, um, and I remembered how quickly I felt that I, I felt so much better just by resting and eating proper food, not the tritty, the, the, um, not the, the, the shit we ate on trail, like all these things. And um, I remembered how, how healing that was and how quickly, like, you know, physically I, I made it back really, really quickly and um, took up running in November. I ran a half marathon and, was just it felt pretty pretty easy to me. I wasn't injured in the end, like um, other friends I I know uh, who came back. Did you back. run before the trail? Were you not, a runner before? Not at all. I was. Uh, I just picked running because I felt like you know I always wanted to be a runner, and uh, it felt like maybe now I have the baseline cardio <laughs> to do it actually, and I did. You know, it was it was good in that sense. Yeah. How about this? Did you have trouble adjusting to sleeping indoors? When you came back, I don't think I had I had trouble. No, it was more. Um, I mean, I guess one thing was it was um, one thing that I really missed was hearing the noises, the wind, you know, the mm. the branches, in the trees making their noise, hearing birds. That was something I really missed. I remember, especially the first week, sleeping with like the window open a lot. Because I felt like yeah. I, I needed to have that that noise still, but I oh, think that's, that's awesome. Yeah, but I think that is that is it because of you know I needed rest. I needed to borrow in my in my room and just be I don't know hibernate for a while. So as we kind of wind this down, think about this or think about what you could share. In, in terms of advice or encouragement or admonition or warnings to people that aspire to hike the trail um, but really have really have little experience with things like that either physically or mentally and emotionally what what would you tell somebody both for for like either gear physical or how to cope emotionally I think um, the most important thing, if you feel like the trail is calling you in a way, if you feel like you need to do this, do it. Put the, put the gears in motion and do it. And even if you feel like, I'm not prepared for this, believe me, the trail is going to prepare you. The first couple of weeks might be a little harder for you if you're totally unprepared, but you're going to learn everything that's necessary. The trail community is awesome. The trail community is going to carry you the first couple of weeks. There's always going to be people who, who can, who are more than happy to teach you things, to help out with maybe gear. If you, I don't know, you lose a stake, 12 other people are willing to give you one. It's this amazing, amazing part of, of being in that community that you really, you, you can't really fail. You know, if you set your mind to it uh, and you're willing to learn, just go ahead and, and just start it and, and do it. And I think a warning, um, basically from my, my own experience would be make sure throughout the entire hike that you do what you, what you want to do. Make this hike your own and don't let anybody else, you know, influence or dictate how you, you're doing it. If you want to, I don't know. Do like five slack packs in a row. Do like a triple zero. To just do it, you know. Just listen to yourself throughout the whole thing. And um, from my own experience with with this problem I had with like sticking with um, with people too long, 
at some point, you know, just, just make, take the leap and just, um, just go ahead and reclaim your hike because you're always going to meet other people that are amazing too. And you're never going to be fully alone on the trail. So, and, and, you know, the trail will provide in the end. And if you're in a situation where you feel like, oh my gosh, like this is so bad. Like, I don't really know. Um, the trail is going to, going to do, uh, the trail is going to adjust in a way that, 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 is going to help you. It's going to, I don't know, spit out some people that you haven't seen in 200 miles. Suddenly they're going to pop, pop up in front of you and you're going to have the greatest, uh, I don't know, the greatest time ever. It's whatever it is, the trail's going to, the trail's going to provide. And I think in, in my sense, it provided me some valuable lessons I probably needed to learn once and for all. So and I think it's going to do the same for you. And uh, one thing I would definitely strongly advise you to do after for after the trail, keep some money um, just for the whole like getting off trail process, and just don't just just care for yourself the, the first couple weeks and months after trail. Just don't worry about anything else, but make sure you're back to back to your I don't know usual self, and you take some time to rest and think about things and let the experience sink in, and don't let like society stress you again like right from the bat. Just take some time for yourself and figure out what you want to do with your new life off trail. Wow, that sounds like great advice. Okay, one last question. What is next for Panda? <laughs> I think um, in terms of adventures, uh, I have some ideas. Um, I, I really would like to like moving away from, from the whole triple crown thing, because I actually right now have like zero aspirations to do the PCT or the CDT. For me, that's kind okay. of, that's really far away, like into the future, maybe at some point. Um, I would really like to do something like um, go to New Zealand and work there for a year, work and travel. Um, and then just, you know, backpack around like Asia, South America, these places that, that is one thing that I could see myself doing. Um, and then also I would love to do the Pan American. I don't know yet, probably by like biking it. So uh, going from, oh, wow. um, Alaska down to the tip of South America, but, uh, those are all projects that are not like attempting in the near future right now right. i'm uh, very much still in the phase where i focus on like rest and appreciating what a stable life can give you i don't know i mean uh this year like um speaking again about the whole running thing like i uh, spent most of this year to try to get ready for a marathon and i actually ran that marathon last sunday and it was great and i think oh, congratulations uh, thanks well like uh and, and while traveling, like, like there's so many things that you kind of sacrifice for traveling, which is awesome too. But right now I really appreciate being, being kind of stable and, uh, I'm in my first job. I'm, I'm really happy. I'm working for a university, um, basically working in international exchange programs, which is something I'm super passionate about because I've experienced, um, how powerful that was myself. And so I'm really happy about exploring that more. I don't know. Maybe you want to call it boring phase of life, <laughs> but for me right now, that feels uh, that feels like exactly what I need to do to then, in I don't know, maybe one or two years, go crazy again for a year, and then I don't know. Probably after that, I have to go back and recover again. But for now, right. for now, I'm uh, pretty happy being stable and and um, exploring how that feels long term. Well, I really appreciate you joining us. Uh, the, you know, the things that you've said are super insightful. The advice you've given is is spot on, um, and I hope people will hear it and listen to it and uh, be inspired to, A, do something epic, and B, to be their authentic self while doing it and, and then also take care of themselves afterwards. I really appreciate you being on here. I'm super Super thankful for that day in, on Easter Sunday, running into you and that whole group. Yeah, it was why bald. It was really great. Yeah, thanks for everything. You really, you were such a almost a constant, or like at least like such a defining figure in different points <laughs> of the trail. So really appreciate that, and uh, I'm really glad I I could be here. And I hope, uh, yeah, I hope people can find some value in what I have to say. So. 
Thanks for that. Awesome. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on the Hiker Trash Podcast. If you'd like to support this project, you can go buy a coffee table book or a fine art print. You can do it at our website, localexposuremagazine.com. You can show some love to Scott Lowe. He provided the music for today's episode. You can find him on Instagram at Scott Lowe Songs. Hey, if you enjoy this, tell someone. Send them a text, make a post, talk about it. And stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you.